Hey, good morning, Midtown. Good to see you guys this morning. We are talking about Meals with Jesus in our series, so feel free to come and get some snacks while I'm talking. Uh, my name is Justin, uh, one of the associate pastors here. I uh, just want to again welcome you again, and especially if you're new. I uh, really hope that you enjoy your time and meet someone new while you're here. Uh, you'll hear about this at the end, but I would also want to invite you to a Midtown lunch. We're doing lunch at Central Market today afterwards, so if you're new, come join us for lunch so you can get to know some people better. We'd love for you to do that as well. Um, I do have, a, before I get started, a couple family news, some, some, some family business, and one is that the baby Holsey was born, so Bailey and uh, Courtney had their baby, uh, Hudson Blaze, so you'll, you'll get to greet them here in a few weeks, I'm sure. And then also Jennifer and Ben Box had their baby, which is Cora Bess. So we'll have some new. We're growing just by babies. It's fantastic. Um, if you were here last week, you uh, heard a pretty crazy story of, of meals that, that Jake and Krista had, where Krista actually ate someone else's tortilla. I don't know if I can top that story. I've never stole food from anyone or, or dared my wife to do it. But I was trying to think of like what is like a funny, funny, you know, you eat every day, so you're bound to have some sort of a funny story. And the one that when Brenda and I were talking about uh, this morning, we thought, we thought the first time that I went to go visit her family, so it was Easter weekend, kind of a big deal, bringing a pretty serious boyfriend home for the first time and getting to meet her family. Now, she has a, a wonderful family, and at the time, her grandma lived right across the street from her parents, and her grandma was like 95. She lived to be 105. And she could barely see at this point, but she knew that I was coming and was really excited about contributing to the Easter dinner that we would have after worship that morning. And so she put a lot of thought into it, was thinking what would be really special for this occasion. And so she decided that she was going to make some lemon jello with tuna in it. That was her, that was her idea for my very special uh, <laughs> dessert, welcoming the new uh, possible husband-to-be to the family with tuna jello. You know, fish has lemon in it. I think she was probably thinking that, but she was a wonderful woman, so we won't give her too hard of a time. You knew at least that she was praying for you because she was a prayer, maybe not the wisest in her cooking decisions. We're going to continue this series, Meals with Jesus, and really our theme verse that we've been using is from Luke 7, uh, verse 34, when it says Jesus was speaking about himself, and he says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. It was really in context of some people who were observing his life and wondering why he was just going and eating and drinking and partying and hanging out with people so often. And really, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, you see that Jesus did this a lot, that he was eating with people all the time. So we see it like, I think one of the funniest ones is when he invites Peter. He's like, hey, Peter, come follow me. And Peter starts to follow him. And I picture Peter being like, hey, where are we going? He goes, we're going to go back to eat at your house. And next thing you know, they're back at Peter's house. We saw last week where it was actually a Pharisee, like a religious leader, invited Jesus over. Next week, Jake's going to talk about a tax collector that has Jesus over. So he was indiscriminate in the type of people that he ate with and the people that he spent time with. Uh, we see him, too, um, spending intimate time. Sometimes he's just together with two or three people. Sometimes he's with his 12 disciples, like one of the ones we already looked at. And others, there's a whole group of people in Luke 8 that says there's a whole bunch of women that are with him as well when they're eating. And we have different occasions where his first miracle was multiplying wine at a wedding, and then we see him at the house of Mary and Martha after a funeral. So on all occasions, with all types of people, Jesus worked his way through his life eating with people. One of the quotes that I've kind of kept with me from this pastor that I heard a couple years ago, he said, one of the best things that we can do is we can live, do ordinary things with gospel intentionality. A guy named Jeff Vanderselt said that. It's always stuck with me, that we can just do ordinary things in our life but do them with, with intentionality, with gospel, heart, and our mind. 
gospel intentionality. And really, that's what Jesus was doing. He was doing just the ordinary things of the day, like eating and sharing meals, but doing them with mission in mind. And it radically changed every time that he would have a meal with people. And so today, we're going to look at one of the more famous passages. It's the passage of the feeding of 5,000. But before we get there, I want to make a a brief little side announcement. Some of y'all heard about this for the first time last week, but one of the things that we're encouraging everyone in Midtown to consider doing during the month of May is host what we're calling supper clubs. And so our, our goal would be that many people in our church, I know there's already about 30 that have agreed to do so, which is going to be awesome, who said that sometime during the month of May, they're going to have a gathering at their house, and the aim is just to invite your friends and classmates, coworkers, neighbors, and just have a conversation sharing your life story. So it's not just having a meal, but it's actually inviting your friends to say, hey, we want to have a meal with the purpose of getting to know each other by sharing our life stories. And so in each of those contexts, we'll get the chance to share our testimony, but we'll get a chance to hear the life stories of our friends and talk about things that we don't often talk about. And so I think this is going to be really exciting. And we're just trying to take from the example of Jesus and do it in our ordinary lives, but do it with a bit of gospel intentionality. And on your connections card, if you haven't already checked Midtown Kids like Jeff just did, talked you into, I'm sure, then you could also check Supper Club. And if you're interested in that, I'll follow up with you. We'll get you some resources. And it's going to be really fun just to see what God does as we all just make time and space to have meals with our friends like Jesus does. So, the feeding of 5,000, it's one of the more popular stories. Most of you have probably heard of it. It's actually the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. So, it's actually Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the same story. It's really unique. They each add just a little bit of different perspective from what they remembered about the story. We're mostly going to look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So, if you wanted to find a spot in the Bible, we'll be in Matthew 14. Um, But we'll bounce around and you'll see some other scriptures on the screen as well. Why don't I pray for us and we'll get started. God, we ask that you would just speak to us through this story. Uh, We know that uh, your word in and of itself has power in it. And so, as we dwell on it together here, uh, speak to each of us, even individually, because you know what's going on with all all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get started, let me ask you a question. Have you ever, just for one night or one day, just been peopled out, like you just don't want to be around any people? nods, right? You're like, yeah, I can relate to that. Have you ever just been, I call it being peopled out, where you're just like, okay, I've been around people so much, I just can't handle one more social interaction. So maybe it's like a hard day at work, and you're just like simply too tired at the end of the day, or maybe you've been in conversations all day, and so at the end of the day, you just don't feel like talking. Uh, Brendan and I joke that like I have a word count, like a daily word count, and there's some days where I like reach my max, and then when I get home, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm all out of words. I've, I've, used, I've used them all. I've hit my capacity. Or maybe you're just going through something difficult emotionally. Like maybe there's something really just struggle going on in your heart. You think to yourself, like, I just don't have the emotional capacity for anything else right now. Or maybe it's been a busy week in classes and you've had a big group project and you get home and you, just, you really just don't want to hang out with your roommates. You're, you're peopled out. Or don't raise your hands on this one or nod. Well, you can nod because I'll see your nod. How many of you actually, actually are part of a Midtown community, which is what we call our small groups at, at Midtown? And you've had a really bad day in your Midtown community, you just decide you're not going to go to it that night because it's been a hard day. Yep. Hey, I see some hands raised. Um, or how many of you just heard about Supper Club and you're like, no, nah, I can't, <laughs> no, no, I can't do it. Well, here's what I want to say. This is, a, this is what I love about this passage. Jesus feels the same way sometimes. Do you believe that? That Jesus, while fully God, was also fully human and in his humanity, Jesus would get peopled out. 
he would have to get away from people. The disciples themselves would get peopled out. That's what I want to start with this story because what's really important is before we get to the 5,000 is to understand what actually happened on that day prior to that day in this feeding because you're going to find out a lot about the emotional state of the disciples and even the emotional state of Jesus. So let's start with the disciples. The disciples themselves, if you were to go back in, in, in Matthew 14, just prior to this, Jesus had sent the disciples out two by two and he sent them to go to every single town and to proclaim the good news and heal people. And so here was this first time the disciples themselves had ever been sent out away from Jesus, like, now you guys go do this work. You know how hard it is to do something for the first time? How stressful it is? And you're, you're out there trying to do what Jesus said? Not only that, he told them to go really lean. He said, don't travel with a lot. Like, don't pack a lot. You guys just take one bag and don't bring any extra stuff. You know Why? Because he told them, you're going to have to rely on the other people. When you get to these towns, if someone greets you and welcomes you, then stay with them. In other words, they were completely dependent upon other people. Completely dependent on other people, but what? That they were around people the entire time that they were doing this. And not only that, when Jesus sent them out, he told them, if someone rejects you, he said, just shake the dust off your feet and go to the next town. And so prior to this occasion, we're going to see, we've got these disciples who've been traveling for days, maybe weeks, we don't really know how long from town to town, dependent upon other people, always around people, and also been rejected by people. And that's the context by which they come. You can see here in Luke 9, in the Luke 9 passage, it says, and the apostles returned and they reported to Jesus what they had done. Or if you go to Mark 6, the same same story, the apostles gathered around Jesus and they reported them all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. We're going to pick that up in a second. But get this, like, these guys are tired. They've been traveling. They've been doing something out of their comfort zone, doing something for the very first time. They're exhausted. And then I love this last little detail that Mark gives. They were coming and going. They didn't have a chance to eat. In other words, Mark was saying in Greek, they were hangry. Like, they were, they were just hangry. They're tired and hangry. And that's the setting that we're about to walk into. But let's look at, the, look at Jesus. Because while they were out, what was happening with Jesus was Jesus had just been brought the awful news that his friend, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded and murdered. We'll pick up the verse here in a minute, but, but picture Jesus here, who while they're out doing their thing, it says that John was beheaded, and then John's disciples went and buried his headless body, and then they came and reported to Jesus what had happened. This is Jesus' great friend. And in Jesus' humanity, Jesus feels sorrow. We know that he wept at Lazarus' funeral. Jesus is feeling a deep sorrow for his friend that was killed. He's probably even thinking about that he's also going to die. He knows that he's going to. And so when you pick up the story from Jesus' perspective, in Matthew it says this, or actually the Matthew 14, the king had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to a girl and carried to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. I know that, uh, that many of us here have had loved ones die. And it just, it's one of those things when you first get the news, like your, your heart just kind of stops and the world seems still and like the rest of everything going on kind of doesn't make sense, especially if it's something tragic or someone was young when they died. You know, my best friend, uh, his name's Doug Beck, he lost his father when we were in college in a car accident. And whenever we would talk about it together, he would talk about how the world just seemed like it just stood still, like... Everything else in the world doesn't make sense. Like, why, why are you guys driving? Why are you running? Why are you watching football? Why are you doing anything? Like, the world is just still when someone you love dies. 
And this is where Jesus was when the disciples come back to report to him. So they're tired and hangry, and Jesus is shocked and hurt and saddened at his friend's death. If you read down Matthew 14, it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, this is referring to being told that John had died or had been murdered, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. He was peopled out, and he brought his disciples with him because if you read the other context in Luke 9, it says, then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. And then I love the way Mark says it. It's my favorite rendering. Mark says it this way, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? I remember coming across it just like about a year ago, and I just committed it to memory because I wanted to remember every time I was stressed, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place so you can get some rest. Isn't that wonderful that that's Jesus' invitation? He says, I get it. You guys have gone through a lot. I'm hurting too. Like, let's get out of here. So what I first want to make the point is that When you feel like I described earlier, like you're peopled out, you've got to find comfort to know that Jesus has felt the same way in his humanity. He felt the same way, and the disciples felt the same way. And knowing that, Jesus would even invite them to get away. He says, I get it, guys. Let's go and get to be by ourselves. But the story has a different turn at this point. If you read on, you're going to find out that the people follow them. But first, let me ask another question. Everyone pretty much nodded your head that you've been peopled out. I think you'll nod your head to this too. Have you ever been peopled out, but you've just had to be on? I call it like when you have to be on when you're already spent. Like we probably all had occasions like that, right, where it doesn't matter. You might actually be peopled out. You might not have the emotional capacity to deal with something, but you can't help it because you're in situations that require your attention, and you still have to do something. Or maybe it's even that You don't have to do it, but God's called you to do it, and you know you still need to muster the strength to do what God's called you to do, even though you don't have the strength, and you know you don't have the capacity at that time. I know every parent can relate to this, right? Moms and dads, you you get home from work, and you know that your kids need your your time and attention. There's There's no getting out of it. There's no getting away from people time. You have to be on. I like to think of our MC leaders. I I used the illustration earlier of MCs, but what about your MC leaders when they're the ones that actually have that hard, difficult day and they think to myself, I wish I didn't have to go to MC tonight. Oh yeah, I I host it. (laughs) Like, like, there's no getting out of it. You have to be on even if you're not ready or you guys don't know this, but, but hours before we start our worship, there's tons of people that are volunteering and helping get all this place set up. And maybe it's on that Friday after a stressful week that you get the text from the volunteer leader that says, hey, don't, don't forget, you're supposed to bring something to eat, or don't forget, you're supposed to help set up this Sunday. And you think, ah, I've got to be on, and I'm, I'm not ready for that. Or you're an employee, and you know you have the, the meeting that you have to walk into even though you're tired, and, or maybe you've got to make a presentation just because you have to do it. And so there's occasions when we either have to do something, or there's occasions when, when God's actually called you to do something, you know you're supposed to do it, even when you don't have the emotional energy to do so. So that's where we pick up the story in Matthew 14. It says, when Jesus uh, heard what had happened, this is referring again to John the Baptist, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot. When Jesus landed, he saw such a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Or the way that Mark records it, real similarly, Mark says, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many saw them leaving, or saw them leaving, recognized them, and they ran on foot to all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. 
when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. So here's the, here's the deal, like, let's get away and be by ourselves. And as they're approaching the land, there's thousands of people waiting for them. And I'm picturing the disciples saying, oh, no, like, this is not what we wanted. This was not what was intended. We were supposed to be getting over here to be by ourselves, and now there's this crowd waiting for us. Let's turn back, Jesus. Let's go a different way. But they get there, and it says that Jesus teaches to them and that he heals them. We don't know if this was for 30 minutes or if this was for hours and hours, but Jesus spends the time. And not only that, it says that he had compassion on them. This is what amazes me about Jesus, that while holding in his own heart, his own emotion, his sadness for the loss of his friend, he at the same time can equally hold another place in his heart of compassion, first for the disciples. Remember, they came back to him. His first compassion was for them. Like, I get it. I see what you guys have been going through. Let's get away. But now they get to the shore, and they're with all these other people, thousands waiting for them. And his heart can equally carry his own hurt, his compassion for his disciples, and the compassion for these 5,000. It's amazing. So I have to ask, like, like, how do you get there? How can you have such compassion on people? I think at least one part is that he recognized his purpose. Like if we, we kind of the, the two previous uh, sermons related to the meals with Jesus, we talked about there's actually three statements where Jesus says, I've come to do this. So the one that we're kind of using as our theme verse is the Son of Man came eating and drinking. But the other two times, remember he said, the Son of Man does not come to serve or to to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Like he knew that was his purpose. My purpose is not to be served, but to serve and give my life away as a ransom. Or the other time he says it in Luke 19, he says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Like I believe that Jesus so knew his purpose. He was so central to his identity of what he was called to do that that increased his capacity then to to have compassion even when he was in a hurting place. But I think there's something more than just the way that the purpose actually helped him. I think what helped him is where he got the power to have that kind of compassion. And that's where we can pick up the story. It says this, As the evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We, we have here only five loaves, of, uh, or five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. He then gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up the 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and children. So here we have this other occasion where the disciples, their first reaction is they got to make a couple excuses, right? Like it's a remote place. It's getting late. We don't have any food. Like here's three reasons why we should probably just go ahead and dismiss things, right? Let's, let, let's get on with it. And we don't really know their heart. We can try to read into it, but we don't know if maybe these were legitimate concerns and they were willing to stay, but they're just trying to bring up these legitimate concerns to Jesus. Or maybe they were trying to get a way out of it because of how tired they were, and they're trying to make excuses to say, hey, here's some good reasons why maybe we should just kind of move this on out, and we can get this time away that we were supposed to intentionally be doing together anyway. 
But either way, whether their hearts were in it or not, we know that they made these excuses. And what does Jesus say to them? You give them something to eat. This is what's so amazing. This is the part in the story where they're not just participating, but Jesus is going to say, no, not only is this an opportunity, I'm asking you guys to do something that you don't have the strength to do. Like, I get it. I'm hurting. You guys are tired. You're hurting. But now here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to do something that you can't do in your own strength. I know I can think of a, a time in my life where I felt that really distinctly where uh, with Brenda and I, um, in fact, we were, we, last week we got to go do like a little drive to go see the, the wildflowers kind of out to Fredericksburg and stuff. It was real fun. And part of the time we were remembering back to about two years ago at this time, uh, two years ago on Tuesday it will be, that Brenda had a really major surgery, something that a few months before we found out about something that was, that was potentially life-changing for us. And all the stress that was leaded up to that, an actual day of the surgery, and I remember sitting, uh, sitting in the hospital with Jake when the doctor came out and to God's great uh, praise, we got a good report, everything was good, but it still meant months and months of recovery. But I remember that while we were doing that, we were also in the, in the middle of this big campaign that was called Love Where You Live, where churches all throughout the city were hosting uh, kind of like supper clubs, they're just doing a Love Where You Live campaign, inviting neighbors over, primarily just to talk about like, how we can be better neighbors to one another. And so we had already committed to do that, and we're, we're hosting like about 20 or so people at our house on the very day that Brenda had her surgery. And I remember just thinking, are you sure you're calling me to this? And I'm not saying this is the right decision for everybody. Everyone would have a different spot. But for us, we felt like it was that. It was what we were supposed to do. And so, so surreal to be sitting there, and Brenda's still out and sitting with Jake, and then I got to run home and prepare a meal. And some people from my Midtown community helped, which was awesome, helped prepare the meal, clean back up, and then I run back to the hospital to spend the night. And it's just, it's occasions like that where you're like, when you're sure God's saying, like he said to them, you give them something to eat. And you have to say, your first thought is like, how? Like, I can't do this, which is exactly what the disciples said. I don't have it on the screen here, but if you were to read the Mark account, the first thing the disciples say in Mark is they say, well, we can't do this. This is like a half year's wages to get this. Like, we can't do it. And Jesus then says in the, in the Mark passage, he says, well, well how, how much food do we have? And they go out and they kind of take an inventory and they come back and they say, well, we've got five loaves and two fishes, Jesus. That's it. So you say, how can we do it? And I love this phrase. It's as simple as this. Bring them to me. Take what you've got and bring it to me and let's see what happens. Wouldn't it be great just to memorize that verse, just to memorize that thought? Bring them to me. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do, when you know that you're tapped out and you don't have the emotional energy or you don't have the, the physical capacity, you don't have the resources to do it, you don't have the wisdom to do it, but you're sure God's called you to do it, even in the midst of some stress in your life, Jesus would say, bring them to me. Bring what you have. Bring all that you have, and let's see what happens. And so Jesus gives thanks, and it multiplies. And I don't, I don't know exactly how it happened. It could have been that, like, he prayed, and boom, like, there's just tons of <laughs> loaves and fishes. But I think, actually, what I picture actually happening is he puts some in each of their baskets, and he says, remember, he told them, I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to go give it to them. And in other passages, he says he actually had them sit down in groups of 50 and 100. And I'm picturing the disciples just walking with just a small basket full, and just every time they keep giving, there's just more in there. There's just more. Isn't that a miracle? So the question of, well, how do we get the power to do what we can't do in our own strength when we're, when we're tapped out or we're peopled out and God still calls us to do something, the answer is bring them to me. 
Let's come back to Jesus and rely upon Him to be our strength. You know, this would have been lost on the, the people that were there at that time because they were Jewish. This would have felt very much like manna. If you, if you kind of know your Old Testament, there was this period when the, the, when the Israelites had escaped and they were in the desert land waiting to get to the promised land. And one of the ways that God provided for them was giving them manna. It was like this bread substance that just would get on the ground every day. So every day you'd have to go get it. You couldn't get two days worth because it would spoil. The idea was you had to get it every day. And so you're relying upon God to provide for your physical needs day by day by day. But later, when, when Moses has kind of given one of his last charges to the people of Israel before they crossed the land in Deuteronomy, he says, you know what this, this manna was really about? Manna was really meant to show you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This, this bread that you were receiving was really not just something physical, but it was something spiritual showing you that you need the word of God every single day, every single day, that if you want to be provided for physically by this bread, you need to be provided for spiritually by seeking God's word and coming to him. And you know that Jesus actually quoted this when he was tempted. He, he quoted this back to the devil himself and said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So back to the original questions. Have you ever just been peopled out? And have you ever had to just be on when you're peopled out? I think one of the things we can learn from this passage is if God's put us in those occasions where we just have to, or maybe it's a case like this where you don't have to, but God calls you to do something, you've got to remember your purpose, that God's made you his ambassadors, but then you've got to go to God for the power to do it. And here's why I know, here's why I know that I know that I know that this is true. It's because Jesus does the exact same thing. Let's pick up the story. Immediately. Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him on the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. So here's Jesus himself. I love this because there is a time for dismissal. <laughs> and Jesus knew when it was. And he's finally like, hey, guys, party's over. Go back to your towns. Disciples, you guys go get in the boat and get the time that you need. I'm going to go head up the mountain and do what I need to do. And what I need to do is seek God and pray. Because I, Jesus in his humanity, he needed God, the Father, just as much as the disciples needed Jesus to multiply the bread. In his humanity, he goes back to the Father to say, Father, I'm hurting right now. Strengthen me. And we don't know what he prayed, but I imagine that one of the things that he talked to the Father about when he was on this mountainside praying was his buddy John's death to process with God and say, God, this really hurts that my... My friend was murdered, and I'm sure he was talking with God about knowing his, income, his upcoming death was happening as well, and he's processing with God. We know from one thing the way that the author of Hebrews describes Jesus' prayer life this way. During, Jesus' days, uh, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Isn't that amazing? description of Jesus' prayer life, that Jesus' prayer life was often agonizing, dealing with God with cries and tears and requests, coming to God the Father with his, his pain, his sorrows, talking to God about the Father when he's, pieced, when he's peopled out. And even being peopled out, he knew that God could provide him the strength. And, and this is what it says, too, in this Hebrews. He, he learned, but he submitted to God because of his reverent submission. See, this was the thing with Jesus. He would be honest with God about where he was at, 
Like, here's what hurts right now, God, but what do you want me to do? And I'm going to do what you tell me to do because you're going to give me the strength to go through with what you tell me to do. Isn't that amazing? This is the prayer life of Jesus and maybe most clearly seen in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's read this one last passage. When Jesus went to his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, he said to them, first of all, you got to point out, like, here's Jesus trying to get away again. And now he's got his 12, but now he's taking his three closest disciples and he's getting away again. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place so we can get some rest. He went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And and then he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Keep here, watch and stay with me. Jesus was, was peopled out. He was burdened. He was agonizing to the point of death. And his humanity emotionally spent going a little further. He fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said, could you not keep watch with me one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you were to go on reading, this would happen multiple times where the, the disciples kept falling asleep on him. And right then his captors came to take him away. Here we see again the agonizing prayer of Jesus coming to God with his emotions, yet still being willing to say, not my will, but your will be done. Here's how I'm feeling, God, but I'll do whatever you're asking me to do, and I'm asking you for the strength to do it. If you were to read the account of Luke, it says that then angels came down and strengthened him so that he could go on to to his captors. As we close in communion, I want to really focus on this last thing that Jesus says here, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think it perfectly describes in this very moment where Jesus himself in his flesh is weak, but he's relying upon God the Father to give him strength in his spirit. Yet his disciples are doing the very thing, the very opposite. Their flesh is getting the best of them. Their tiredness is getting the best of them. And they fall asleep. And and Jesus asks them, come on, pray with me. Pray for me. But he acknowledges, even in that statement, I get it. I understand, guys. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. So if anything, I want you to hear me say that when we're in these peopled out phases, Jesus gets it. He's experienced it. He even tells them in this occasion while they're sleeping, I get it, the flesh is weak. But God, the Father, can give us strength in our spirit to do what he's called us to do if we rely upon him. As we take communion, I want us to remember Jesus' prayer in the garden. It's prayer in the garden. He was praying for you and me. What sustained him, part of what sustained him was that he was able to know that what he was going to accomplish by going through this, by saying yes, even though he didn't feel like doing it, by saying yes to God, his sacrifice is what brought us salvation. And so as we take the cup and as we, as we eat the bread, let's remember his body that was weak, that was broken for us. And as you take it, I also want you just to pray and ask God for strength to do whatever God's called you to do. So as we respond in worship, I would encourage you also just to think, God, is there anything that I know you're calling to me to do that maybe I've been saying I don't have the strength to do? What are some ways maybe that I can learn to go to you and I can do what you said, bring them to me. I'll bring you what I have for the strength to do what you've called me to do. Let me pray. Our communion's open. 
Uh, anyone who's put their faith in Jesus as their Savior is welcome to take. We've got some in the front and some in the back. When we do worship. We're going to sing a couple songs. Anytime during those songs, you're free to come take communion at your own pace. Let me pray. Father, we do just admit that our flesh is weak. But we thank you that we serve a Savior, that you came to earth and you experienced the same weakness in your humanity. We want to be like the disciples that know how to just bring what we have, weak as we are to you. And as we do, we ask that you would strengthen us for all that you have for us to do. Speak to us individually, even as we take communion and worship together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.